What is going on, everybody? Hopefully, you guys are all doing well out there. Another edition of the Sports Card Show podcast this month. There's just not a lot of interesting stuff going in kind of the modern baseball card, basketball card, football card market at the moment. I mean, we do have football cards going right now, but... Um, you know, I think as the year progresses, it, it might get kind of interesting. We have Blake Bortles. Looks like he's going to start playing. Teddy Bridgewater is going to start playing. The guy I like is David Carr. Um, excuse me, Derek Carr. I don't like David Carr anymore. Uh, Derek Carr for the uh, Oakland Raiders. I've had a chance to see him play. I saw him play in college last year, and he's on a really bad team, really bad offensive line. He's a really good quarterback. I think if he was on a good, um, a good solid team, he, he probably would, would be doing um, pretty well. So, might have I wouldn't buy, accumulate his cards this year. I think you could wait. I think the Raiders are going to struggle. I don't think anybody's going to be be running out there and amassing a huge David Carr collection. Um, but I think it's an interesting year in football. It might hurt it though because you you had there. Oh well, Johnny Manziel is now the only guy kind of sitting uh, that that had a chance to play. So kind of sitting sometimes uh, stirs the pot a little bit and keeps keeps it warm. Whereas if Blake Bortles, you know, he came in, he, he had a nice touchdown throw, but um, he threw an interception as well. And, and it's not like either of the Teddy Bridgewater's team's not going to win any games. Derek Carr's uh, team's certainly not going to. Oh, they, they looked really good. They were they were a, a holding call away from beating the Patriots, although I don't know how good the Patriots are. Um, and uh, let's see, Teddy Bridgewater's team's not going to win. Blake Bortles' team's not going to win. Carr's team's not going to win. And Johnny Manziel is, is not going to play unless there's an injury, it looks like. So, um, you know, it might put the cooler on it. might put the brakes on it. And you also have people that collected, say, Eddie Lacy last year, who looks horrible. I mean, I think he he had a slow start uh, to to his career last year as a rookie and kind of came on late. So we'll see if he's able um, to do that. Robert Griffin is another guy that people probably spent tons of money on. And now he's getting hurt, and Kirk Cousins looks like the guy you might have wanted to collect over the past uh, year or so. So an interesting time in football. But uh, in terms of cards, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could be out there buying this stuff. But um, personally, I'm still into kind of the older stuff and some of the stuff that's not new. Um, it's a little bit easier to, to judge the price on all that. And I might talk about that later on when we get to some of our listener questions. I've got a couple of them here. So we'll talk about that. Um, it all revolves around our contest for the Modern Baseball Card Investor Book, which I'll talk about here um, really quickly, I guess. I got this book from the author, Jeff Wang, H-W-A-N-G, um, the Modern Baseball Card Investor. This book came out a couple months ago or a month or two ago, three months ago, I think, two months ago. Um, at least that's when the author sent it to me. So my <laughs> – you know, I mean the author sent me the book. But I am – I did read through it, read the, read the whole thing, read a couple parts um, over and kind of went over. And there's a lot here. There's a lot of facts, a lot of data, a lot of statistics, and it's modern. It's not a – you know, there's some publications like um, – I mean Beckett has books out there in the market about card values and, and, and maybe some of that. But they also – price a lot of the cards themselves they're a grading you know they they have relationships with some of the manufacturers so how clear how straightforward can you really get 
Um, certainly you can dig through forums and dig through maybe some blogs out there, but not very many that go into um, the kind of detail this book goes into. That's why I really like this book because there really isn't a lot out there um, in the sports card market like this. This is for the you know serious to moderate, moderately serious collector. And I think certainly somebody that has missed, say, the last decade of collecting, you quit in the in the early 2000s or even the 80s and 90s, um, you, you kind of left when everybody else stopped collecting cards. This book would be a, a good little... I wouldn't some of it's going to fly over kind of a guy that's just getting back into it, but it would let him know it would answer a lot of questions for him. What sets are good, certainly with baseball, with the Bowman Chromes, there's a lot of detail early on about um, the different kind of Bowman sets, the different kind of refractors, the different kind of rookie levels, how you have prospect cards and then they're a rookie and even their first year card in the MLB. There's just, you know, there's like five different rookies for these guys, it seems like. So it it talks about that. The second half of the book talks a lot about um, the industry and a lot about um, kind of sports cards um, from a business perspective. But... This book is clearly written by a collector and somebody, you know, the amount of time and amount of work he put into this book, certainly he's going to sell some copies of this book. And, I, you know, I guess, you know, if you sell a couple hundred books or a thousand, couple thousand books, you, you might make a little bit of money, but nothing compared to the time he put into this. And that's why I, I recommend the book, because it's clear that the author, this he, he, I don't know if he anticipated writing this book from the, the beginning, but he basically walks you through his whole process of buying and selling, um, basically buying a lot of these cards and kind of monitoring the values and stuff. And so I think it's a really good, you know, like I said, you have other people in this industry that are tied that 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 are handcuffed for a, for for a lot of reasons because they're affiliated with pricing the cards or they want you to buy some of their other products or they want to put a, you know, kind of a rosy picture on everything. This book doesn't put a rosy picture on the entire industry doesn't say, hey, go cash out your 401k and buy Bryce Harper cards and, and Yasiel Puig or Chris Bryant cards or whatever. Um, there's a lot of information in here. So I, I strongly recommend getting out there um, and seeing if you can't find a copy. If it's, it, I think it's not cheap. The book is on the back. It says $37.95. I don't know what it is on Amazon. I'll certainly figure that out when I buy somebody a copy of it. But um you know, maybe there's a digital version. Maybe you can borrow it from somebody. Maybe you can go to the library and they have those interlibrary loans or whatever. Um, certainly, if you're if you're short on finances, um, it shouldn't stop you from reading the book. And I think the author would agree. But for a lot of you out there, and for a lot of people out there, thirty five, twenty five, whatever the price is on the book is not a tremendous amount of money. A lot of you spend that in a group break or on a card or a pack or whatever. Um, these days. So I think it's a, I think it's a good book. I had a lot of fun reading through it. And um, I think it's, like I said, I think it, it accumulates a lot. If you're a long time collector, I don't think it's going to break a lot of new, it's not going to ex- open up your, if you like, if you've been in this for a decade, two decades, three decades, it's, you're going to read it and be like, wow, this is like everything I have in my brain just written down in a book. And so I think that's pretty cool. Um, certainly if you're, if you're not as serious or you're just getting serious into cards, 
certainly a book worth reading, certainly to get you um, up to speed and up to a level to where um, you might add some experience level to your collecting and your buying and selling and kind of your knowledge of the industry um, just in one one reading. So I think that's kind of interesting. Okay, so um, let's we're gonna move to. I have some questions. For, I want one news topic. I wanted to get to this came out. I say news topic nine twelve. So this is a this is a little bit old, but three plead guilty and charged with one point three million with an M. $1.3 million trading card theft. And who was the victim? None other than Dave and Adam Cardworld. So between January 1st, 2013, so a while ago, uh, to Jan- July 17th, 2014, so for uh, like a year and a half, uh, the gentleman named Aaron Hollers, and he was 31 years old, a 30-year-old named Anthony Martone, and a 25-year-old named David Woods, all from it appears to be the, I guess, New York, New Jersey kind of area. I think that's where this company is. Hauler stole $800,000 worth of stuff. Um, Martone stole $100,000 worth of stuff. And Woods stole $400,000 worth of stuff. So, wow. So, they, it was kind of a way – It was there was some kind of flaw in their um, their system, but – if this this is why I'm kind of glad. I know Dave and Adams had some. Ra- they were doing raffles, and may- maybe I don't know. Maybe these guys were kind of a part of that little thing uh, that they were doing a while back too. Um, it, it appears that these younger employees are probably given a little too much freedom. And I don't know how a year and a half goes by and you don't recognize 1.3 million dollars worth of theft. Makes you wonder. It certainly connects the dots onto why D.A. Cardwell thought it was a bright idea to just do raffles all of a sudden a few months ago. Um, but maybe those employees started to feel guilty at that point and, and, and saw it as a way to kind of refuel uh, David Adams' coffers. I don't know. But uh, certainly a lot of money went out the door here. And it's just just this seems interesting that uh, you don't catch it for, for a really long time. So it makes you wonder, maybe even raffles and employee theft, what else is going on there? Well, you know, what else happens? So stand by my recommendation to probably avoid shopping there. Um, and I, and certainly with one point, and certainly they probably have like some insurance or something that might, uh, do that might take care of this, but, uh, certainly not, not a good sign when, uh, management allows stuff like this to happen and hires three people that kind of create this kind of thing. But looks like these guys are being prosecuted and punished to the fullest extent of law. They all face the maximum of 15 years in prison. And it sounds like these guys should have gotten a better lawyer. Like, how do you steal 800000 100000 400000 I know $1.3 million sounds like a whole lot, but it really, you know, I mean, during the financial crisis, guys made off with a heck of a lot more than that, and they didn't go to, they didn't, they didn't even have to go to trial. So, I don't know, maybe these guys spent all their money, or they kept the cards, or they didn't, they didn't do a very good job, because uh, like, 
how do you how do you face 15 years in prison? They probably will not face that if they're if they have any kind of lawyer, they will not serve any kind of jail time uh, for this. Really, you really should. I don't know. Maybe the laws are different out there. But in California, this is like if this is your first offense, I can see if you have multiple offense. Yeah, you're probably going to go to prison. Um, but if this is your first offense and you're kind of 25, 30 years old, they're not going to send you to jail out here in California for this. You're going to do some kind of, uh, you know, multiple year probation and some some community service type stuff. If you have a good lawyer, if you don't, then, yeah, you'll go to jail. So uh, we'll see what happens there. I just thought that was an interesting news story if you hadn't heard that one. Let's move on to our listener questions. First one, I don't have them in front of me, so it shows you how prepared I am for this. I basically just have a gist of their email, so I apologize. You guys know who you are, and you're entered into the contest uh, to win this book. So, non-sports sets. Someone asked me a question about non-sports sets. How do they compare to sports sets? And um, I don't know if he was talking about necessarily, you know, there's non-sports stuff like you know, like movies and TV shows. And then there's non-sports stuff like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. And I guess I'll just like lump it all, lump it all into one. But here's my overarching point, I think, on this. Look at the last 15, 20 years since the year two, you know, 2000 or so. We'll, we'll start at the year 2000. And that, that, that's about, I started working at a card shop, I think in the mid nineties. And I really, I was like there on the weekend. I was like the only one there on the weekends on, uh, from like 1999 ish for a couple years, worked there for a couple years. And, um, my, I remember Pokemon, remember Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh kind of really, taking a foothold right during the, that time and, and cards are popular too certainly the store did well selling both but the thing i noticed back then you had the price of packs were, was already going up you had hundred dollar boxes i don't think exquisite had quite been released or announced at that point but you had bots well into the hundreds of dollars you had packs that were you know 10 15 20 dollars at that point Yu-Gi-Oh and pokemon you know, was still in that two ninety nine. Sometimes it got hot first edition, Japanese editions or whatever. Um or sometimes four ninety nine, six ninety nine, a little bit more expensive. But you can go to Target today, Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh, Magic, whatever else is on the shelf. I don't there's all kinds of different games. And there's movie cards and there's Walking Dead cards and there's Big Bang Theory cards. Some of those hit a different price point, I understand that. But for in general the price point for Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon cards is still in that $2.99 to $4.99 to $5.99 a pack price point. Now, I understand we're never going to go back to the $0.50 cent packs or the $0.99 cent packs. Having a price that low, there's just not a lot of products. You go to the $0.99 cent store, and once you've gone to one or two $0.99 cent stores, you've seen the whole inventory because they all buy it from the same place. And there's only certain inventory that you can sell for $0.99 cents, just with the cost of gas and moving it here and there and labor and lights and energy and all that stuff. It's just not, you know, selling something for $0.99 cents is not easy unless it's like a song or like something digital or something like that. Then then you can get an economy of stale where $0.99 cents is worth it. But for a tangible product like sports cards or like a like a whatever, a, a 
a calendar or a pair of scissors or whatever. Certainly you can buy that stuff at the 99 cent store, but varying levels of quality. Sports cards, you know, yeah, we're probably at the point where two ninety nine, three ninety nine is now the low end. Whereas two ninety nine, three ninety nine, four four ninety nine, again, my point for gaming cards is still kind of the price point they're hitting. Whereas sports cards has skyrocketed just in the last fifteen years to where two ninety nine, three ninety nine doesn't buy you much of anything anymore in the sports card world. Not that it got you a whole lot back in the day, but just the volume in terms of sports cards these days has all gone to the high end. Now the majority of boxes are over a hundred dollars, where that was more towards the high end back in in the even the the early two thousands and certainly the nineties. Anything in that hundred dollar range was high end. Now that's kind of the mid end to low end. So it shows you that's where I think sports cards has totally gotten derailed. And no one, absolutely no one has proven that sports cards will ever kind of get that regrowth or be able to experience any kind of uh, massive profits from the top down, from the companies all the way down to the distributors, to the to to the retailers, to people like, um, you know, even box breakers and group breakers. Nobody has proven the model that $100, $300, $500 boxes coming out every other week is, is sustainable. Sure, we've sustained it to certain degrees. We've seen in the last 15 years, pretty much every sports card company has gone bankrupt except for Tops. Although, I mean, they've, they've shimmered down their company to where they basically make baseball cards and some apps now. But you've seen them all come and go and change hands. And Leaf was Leaf was making cards 15 years ago. Now Brian Gray owns Leaf. And so he got it off the scrap heaps. Donruss was picked up the scrap heaps. Pacific was picked off the scrap heaps. And all these other brands are gone. Signature for sport and a classic for sport. That's just gone. A lot of stuff's come and gone. And not a lot has come. Not a lot has like come in the door. And you know, outside is oh, these memorabilia cards. Oh, they have value. Oh, they have value. Well, they sure heck cost a heck of a lot more than they ever have. So, non to answer the listeners' questions a little bit, considering my ignorance on non-sports sets, I will say I have seen things like the Walking Dead series. You know, let's throw out Pokemon and let's throw out kind of the fantasy gaming world that might have a TV show. Well, I mean, the Walking Dead certainly has like a TV show. I mean, that's the biggest thing behind it. But these TV shows, I've seen uh, collectors talk about the cards on forums where they'll open up a box of like the Walking Dead or the Big Bang Theory or something like that. And sometimes their criticism are that just the regular cards don't have enough scenes from the from the the newest newest uh, newest series, newest season. Excuse me. So they're buying Walking Dead, the newest Walking Dead, but the the current photos aren't in there, or they don't have enough of the, a certain character. They don't have enough of um, certain things. So I thought I thought that was interesting. You know, we're flipping, most sports car people will flip through anything until they hit something shiny or an autograph or a jersey. And everything else just kind of goes in a pile. Some group breakers don't even send you those cards. 
So I think there's a difference there. I think manufacturers, you know, certainly they've gotten lazy. They they use the same photos over and over and over and over. I mean, it's it's one thing to do it over and over, but you see the same headshot and threat and something like National Treasures as you did all season long. It's the exact same photo, and so there's no there's no uniqueness. Certainly, the attention to detail. Um, and sports card has gone out the window the last 15 years as, as it's they've gone to a higher price point, but to an even lower margin. That's what's so, so silly about the sports card manufacturers. And I don't see a lot of people talking about this or making a big deal about it, but it really is a big deal. The sports card companies have inflated the, the price of everything. And the margin's gone down. Back in the day, you used to be able to sell this stuff for 99 cents a dollar, $2 a pack, and actually make money. Now you sell it for $300 and you you don't even make money or you make as much money as you did back in the day on a, on a $50 sale. Sold $60 worth of stuff and you made 30 Now you sell something for 300 and you make 30 So we'll see. It's totally backwards. There's there's a reason why this gaming stuff is still on the shelf at Target. I mean, yeah, um, poke, uh, sports card stuff is on the shelf at Target, but you better you you better see what they pay for that. That's not free. People think that Target just puts cards up because it moves quickly. No, I've been to Walmart's where the sports card doesn't pay for it, and it's in it's in one little corner of like a register. It's like where usually like lighters or sunflower seeds or batteries or something are. And it's just one little shelf, basically. It's gotten to that point in some Walmarts. And certainly as, as time goes on, maybe, maybe shelf space at Target gets more expensive and, and they can't even do it there. So kids, our next question is about kids. And how do we get kids involved? And I think people that blow this off, oh, the kids don't matter. Oh, the kids, I'm tired of hearing about the kids. Well, that's you're probably going to be tired of hearing how little your cards are worth year after year after year after year because nobody's interested in buying them. There's never a new generation to come in and buy them. It's going to be like buying really oddball kind of memorabilia. Yeah, it's sports related, but a lot of people associate cards with kind of not being worth anything. So, kids, how do we get them involved? And I, I remember doing a show on this a while back, and my argument's exactly the same. And nobody in this industry, they've I saw Top say, "Oh yeah, we're going to run some ads on Nickelodeon," and they and they do stuff like that, and that is so dumb, guys. Running ads on TV is leave it to when you watch tv there's like three industries you see ads for pretty much all the time it's cars like gm honda ford they advertise all the time acura pretty much every car manufacturer except for the high-end luxury guy doesn't advertise but everybody else advertise. Everybody not named Porsche or Tesla or Ferrari. They might even out. Those guys might advertise kind of in different ways. But I'm talking about running TV ads over and over and over. Beer is another one. You see ads for beer all the time. All the time you see ads for beer. And the last one, what do you see ads for all the time? 
insurance. Now, uh, any of those three things, beer, maybe fast food, that's kind of in a different category. Those are creating kind of urges or not beer is a little bit different, but something like a pizza hut ad where they're like 1099 pizza from now, you know, on Tuesdays or whatever. And they're running the ad on Tuesday. That's more of a call to action ad. And that's a little bit different, but tops doesn't have that luxury. You're not watching the ad and then running out and buying tops cards. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with car manufacturers, but they run the ads all the time. It doesn't happen with their insurance. Certainly with every Geico ad we see, we certainly sure as hell don't go out and buy insurance right away. But those companies run those ads for a reason and they have to run them all the time because if they just ran them once in a while when they had the budget or when they had the money, they would not be effective. They might as well not even do them. And that's exactly how I feel about tops running ads to attract kids on Nickelodeon. Unless they, maybe they have the budget to, or maybe they have the connections and the budget to run the ads for literally two or three years. You're going to have to run them on Nickelodeon for two or three years for them to really start to see any kind of effect from them. Otherwise, just don't run them at all. If you can only afford to run them for a season or these certain time periods that are cheap enough or whatever, you're wasting your money. And chances are that's what they're going to do. Here's my thing with kids. Kids from when they're five years old to when they're 18 are in one place about 80% of their waking day and they're there 80% of the, the year. They're in school. And certainly cutting through school red tape and bureaucracy and all that crap might be kind of a headache. But teachers certainly will take uh, materials if, if presented to them properly. Um, you know, teachers have teachers go out and buy materials and come up with lessons on their own. And if you're able to do that and, and package it up with a with a pack of cards or with some cards with some with a game that they can play and learn math and maybe maybe you can teach boys math. With fantasy stats, maybe you can teach um, finance with the salaries. Maybe you can teach um, organization and management with how the teams are structured and making sure you have a QB and have a running back and you have, maybe you can do something with that and you can, you can present that to kids and then they can use that stuff at school. And all their friends have it, and then they go home, and what do they do? They, they all say, I want more of these cards that I'm learning math from or that I'm learning uh, these skills from and that my teacher gave me, and now I want to go buy more. But are the, the manufacturers worried about that? No. They just want to come out with their next four or $500 box that has three, four, five hits of the same guys that you've been seeing all year long, and that's it. They have no interest in saving the children, and neither do I. But if you want to reach kids, they're at one place all the time. Why do you think Pepsi paid so much money? When I was a kid, why were they? I, I think this stuff is kind of going away, and certainly out here in California um, and probably other places around the country, they're taking away the soda machines, even though Pepsi pays a lot of money or Pepsi's putting healthier drinks in there and not putting the soda. But but part of my day was was figuring out a way to get out of class and, and scrounge together. I think back in those days it was a dollar or dollar twenty five for one of those uh, little one-liter bottles or half liter bottles of Coke or Pepsi at my school. And you'd go out and you get a Pepsi and you walk around a little bit, act like you're going to the bathroom. Then you'd go back in class and, oh, you only had 10 more minutes left. Cool. 
So why do you think Pepsi did that? Not not necessarily just to make money. They were, I think they were giving the school a, a percentage of each sale. It's to get people hooked on it. There's other examples. I mean, the whole textbook lobby is a whole whole thing. I mean, I don't, I don't recommend the card companies getting into the textbook business, but they certainly could could create a package for educators to get kids engaged with sports cards and get them into their hands. And, and create kind of a desirability for them. But I, I just don't see it happening. People in this industry say, oh, kids don't matter, kids don't matter. And then in 30 or 40 years when they want to pass, when they're, they're trying to pass their collection down onto their son, their son is like, I don't want this. It's like, it's like my mom trying to give me beanie babies or my, my dad trying to give me pogs or something. I'd be like, cool, thanks, dad. But... Sure wish you would have collected, uh, you know, Van Gogh art or wish you would have collected even rare gold coins and, and silver coins, even though the price is, is down at lows. I mean, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it's sure, you know, it was like buying Mickey Mantles. So none of us care about kids until, oh, we got a seller collection or we're trying to pass it down. And when we pass it down, two weeks later, we we're watching Pawn Stars and, oh, there's my son with my eight boxes of cards. And there's Rick Harrison saying, oh, yeah, I'll give you $10 for him, maybe. So great question. Thanks for the question on the kids. I think it's a really important issue. Um, I just don't see anybody out there caring enough about it. And certainly if they care about it, it's like, oh, we'll run some ads on Nickelodeon. Like that's going to work. Next question was, I don't know if this was for the book contest, but the question was, could this was back when Tops had lost their PA license for football or more or less Panini got the exclusive for it, negotiated an exclusive for it. So could Tops make team logo cards when the license runs out? Yes, they could make if they maintain. Now they have to get a license to make those logo cards. Remember, we've been over this. To make cards, you need a player's association license unless you want to make stuff like Leaf does or like draft press pass and stuff where they kind of just are in airbrush uniforms and stuff like that where you can only have a certain number of players and you kind of have to tap dance around some 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 license laws and you got to get these guys before they sign with a team and stuff like that and they're in a players association you got to I mean there's just a lot of stuff you have to do the timing has to be right and everything so tops would need to have an NFL license so Panini they have the players association license so they're able to put Tom Brady on a card and Andy Dalton on a card and Joy Bell on a card. But if they don't get the NFL properties license, which I think is doubtful, I think they certainly will be able to get it because they're already, it's essentially a renewal. And as long as they don't do anything stupid, the NFL is not going to turn their back on, on free money. Essentially. Um, will tops renew? Maybe, maybe tops will become the digital card provider. Uh, maybe they'll figure something else out. I don't know. But yeah, they could come out with cards with a Kansas City Chiefs logo on it or a jersey with the logos but no player in it. Basically anything with a player. And I think this this email was referring to there was cards in the 70s where it was kind of a like a 
an action shot of the team. Like they were lining up to block a kick or something. And then it would take a kind of a broad base picture of kind of the team and the fans kind of in the background. And then it would say Seattle Seahawks on top. Uh, maybe back in those days it was different with the, I don't even know if they had a players association back then. Um, now I don't think you could do that. You probably, uh, certainly a company, maybe someone like Leaf or some of these other companies try to get away with something. I don't know why they would, but you could maybe do something like that. But the NFL is approving this too. So when they make that card, they have to send it to the NFL and the NFL would have to say, Oh yeah, this is cool. I don't think anything with a player on it is going to happen. Unless it's he's not wearing anything. And they can't wear any kind of uh uniform. Even that, they, they they still would need some kind of players assert. They might be able to do legends stuff. Maybe you'll be able to get enough legends. Barry Sanders, Joe Montana, Joe Namath, guys like that. But that's difficult. That's not that easy. And certainly your competitors out there already doing that. Um so I think basically, guys, I mean I know that I Basically, forget it. Tops is done for the next 10 years making football cards. And they might be done altogether. Someone obviously will acquire the assets or they'll do something there, but they're they're done making football cards. I would have no I think everybody realizes that by now. Another emailer asked me about to talk about hockey cards, but I think I know he was joking. And I'm not gonna act like I know anything about hockey cards, but I do think it's kind of interesting with upper deck kind of running the deal now. So you have upper deck, just, just making hockey cards this year might be kind of interesting. I, you know, upper deck is one of those companies that still has some of that attention to detail still has a little bit of that old school still has some people there with some, some roots, I guess, or some, some heritage in the business, some uh, respect for the past and respect for the product. So Upper Deck could do decently with hockey. I don't know. I mean, you guys are going to have to tell me. The hockey guys are going to have to tell me. I think, you know, obviously having less choices. And I think there was a lot of decent Panini product that was out there for hockey, uh, most notably Prime and certainly some of the other products that they put out. I think people appreciated. But... Upper deck should should handle that fairly well. I, I shouldn't think they they shouldn't have a problem there, and it might actually strengthen the market. I think ultimately having one player in the hockey market might strengthen it because I actually thought there was demand enough for two. I thought there was enough demand probably for both Panini and Upper Deck there, as long as they limited the products, as long as they kept the cap on it. Uh, but now you just have one, and so I think that'll be kind of interesting. And it looked like the high end stuff didn't come out for a while. So you kind of had to wait there. So there might be some anticipation might remind you more of back in the day. Whereas you had to wait for the really, you know, the SBX to come out and the SB authentic to come out to get the really good rookies. And by then, you know, there might be some new guys that weren't there in the beginning of the year. Whereas now the manufacturers just throw all the cool cards at you at once. And then by the end of the season, you're kind of tired of it or it's kind of stale. Check out my cards. To, I, I I will come back on another show. I'll give you briefly some rundown here of the listeners' questions, but I'll come back. Might even bring this listener on to talk about some of this stuff. But secondary market sites to buy on, and basically my 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 thought is if you're a buyer, and if especially if you're in the the market for cards that are hard to find, 
It, it might not even be rare cards. It might be like 80s base, 90s base that no, everybody thinks is worthless or pretty much is worthless. And it's actually kind of hard to find some of that stuff uh, for sale, even if it's only for 25, 30 cents. Um, if you're out there in the market for that stuff, try as much of stuff as possible. Just judge judge how much money you're willing to risk because we saw employees of these companies are stealing money certainly somebody on a one-to-one transaction and and certainly other ways uh that you can be scammed if you're spending thousands of dollars and thousands of dollars is a lot of money to you and it's pretty much is to everybody then you probably should stick to spending that money on something like ebay or check out my cards or something like that that has some insurance is in place just in case you don't get your stuff. I wouldn't do a big deal on a forum. I wouldn't do a big deal on, I mean, we've talked about how big deals on the past have gone awry on forums with counterfeit PSA slabs and vintage cards and all that stuff. It certainly happens all the time. So, my recommendation is to really try if you're out there and you're a buyer, try try them all. Try it out. Certainly, if you're in the market for something, um, it's probably worth having an avenue to buy it on all these sites. If you're a seller, I think it all depends on what you want to do, how fast you want your money, and how liquid you want your, your assets to be, whether they be cards or boxes or whatever. I think eBay is, is clearly the leader in terms of customers and attention. And probably liquidity in terms of how quick, if I pull a nice card, a $400 card, and I want to sell it and get my money within a, in a week or two, eBay is probably the place to go. I prefer check out my cards because I see it kind of as a much longer term, uh, much longer term investment. I have money and cards tied up into check out my cards for years. But ultimately, my my work level, the amount of work I have to put in is, is, is tremendously less. I don't have to package any of this stuff up. I don't have to make sure I have bubble mailers and tape and paper and ink for my printer. And I don't have to go wait in line at the post office or drive down there or anything like that or have to worry about any of that or a return or, oh, the card got dinged or whatever. I don't have to worry about customer service or any of that. And for me, that's worth a lot of money. So... I'm 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 partial to that site because it's a long-term thing. I can amass. I have over 10,000 cards now. I'll be buying a lot. I'll probably be buying thousands of cards when everybody puts it on sale. Everybody's trying to sell during Black Friday. That's when I'll come in there and I'll try to buy as many cards as I can. And then I'll be selling them all throughout the year in the next two or three years. I have cards on the site. My inventory turns over pretty quickly. It turns over probably every two years or so on that site, but I do have cards that have been sitting there for, yeah, probably three or four years now, um, you know, for whatever reason. Certainly, you can come in there and blow it out like a lot of people do at, at, at 10 cents or less, and it'll sell very quickly, but um, I like that site, and I'll give you an example of why I like that site uh, this week. We had that whole controversy this last couple weeks. We've had controversy with Ray Rice. We've had controversy with Adrian Peterson. We've had controversy with Jonathan Dwyer and, and several other NFL players. I literally was able to sell my entire inventory of Ray Rice cards for a profit after the second video came out and after he was released and it was it was during the whole firestorm week i bought them low enough 
obviously I bought them in a dirt, dirt cheap price because I was able to price them at a, a, a very, very low price and they, they pretty much instantly sold and I made money on it. And I did the same thing with Adrian Peterson cards. I just wanted to get rid of them. I don't want to hold, I don't, those cards are not going to sell at the prices I had them on. So I might as well sell them now and maybe AP, yeah, maybe he comes back and he's cool and maybe Ray Rice comes back and, and people are cool with him. I don't really see that. Um, I see the, those two players' skills diminishing faster than they're able to come back to the NFL and have a successful career. I mean, Michael Vick really had only one and, a, and maybe even only a half a season where he was kind of honeymooning as, as, as his return to the NFL, but now he's, he's nothing. He's a backup. Um, and I kind of see the same fate. Maybe they have one. Maybe P, I could see Peterson obviously more than uh, Ray Rice. Not that either offense is more excusable than the other. Because certainly I think if we had video of, of Adrian Peterson, I don't think he'd ever play again. I was even thinking about that. I was like, wow, can't wait till TMZ posts the cell phone video of Peterson. Actually, I don't want to see a video like that, but I think there was some photos. But certainly if we saw a video similar to the Ray Rice situation, I don't think Peterson's playing again. I think if we, you know, yeah, we hear about what he did, but it's the same thing as Ray Rice. We all knew what probably happened in the elevator. And then once you saw it, you were like, well, geez, I don't know how you could be cheerful. I mean, there were Ravens fans giving that guy a standing ovation at practice. Shame on you, Ravens fans. Shame on the ownership. Shame on the whole organization. And shame on the NFL. And that comes straight from a Bengals fan. So hope all you guys feel good about yourselves. And not that the, I mean, I remember when the Bengals were like, it was like, I remember naming one of my fantasy teams, Bengals Police Department, because it was like literally every other week we were getting arrested. So good thing the the tolerance policy was different back then. We'd have guys get arrested for DUI and then play three days later. Now you better not get, there's NFL players that are like, God, I better not get in trouble because I might... I probably missed the whole season. Any kind of offense in the NFL right now is not good. So you hope, and this is also the problem with collecting sports cards because two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you know, Adrian Peterson, if you were passing down a, a bunch of autographs of Adrian Peterson, it was great. Now it's, eh, it's still all right, but all right's probably the way to describe it. Ray Rice, I mean, yeah, his, his, his fall started a few months ago, but uh, this is a guy that won a Super Bowl recently. And now, I mean, I was able to give away some Ray Rice cards and make money on them, but I don't think anybody, my point was with that was, I don't think on any other site, it's very hard, it would have been very hard to buy. I literally bought Ray Rice cards at four or five cents and sold them for 10 cents on check on my cards within a short period of time. Within, you know, this was within the last couple of months. Most of those Ray Rice cards I had bought after he kind of had his first transgression. And then when we all saw the video, I was still able to sell them for a profit. I don't think you can do that on a lot of sites so that's why i'm partial to check on my cards too because i'm able to unload my inventory whereas on ebay trying to sell ray rice base cards that's literally what i sold ray rice base cards nobody wants that right now not even in baltimore probably so that about wraps it up for today's show folks i don't think i have a whole lot else to say i don't know uh when the topics pick up in the sports car world, I'll probably maybe do these a little 
more often, but right now it just seems kind of dead. I don't know if it's just kind of dead. I mean, certainly the sports card world, sports world is not dead with baseball and its stretch run um, and, and leading into the playoffs. Football just starting. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of basketball. I can't wait till that starts. So, I mean, literally in a month here, my head is my head's already exploding because we've got college football right now too. But it's I'm going to have college football, NFL football, NBA basketball. And MLB playoff. If my team, I don't watch MLB playoffs. If the Giants aren't in it, or maybe the A's aren't in it, I probably won't watch at all. Um, so maybe I might hope that my team. Knock on wood. I probably shouldn't hope that my team doesn't make it. But my head is going to be exploding. So I don't know if I'll have a lot of time to do these. It depends on kind of what's going on in the sports card world. Certainly, if you send me topics, sportscardshow at gmail dot com or on Twitter at sportscardradio, that helps. Because right now, I just don't have anything that I'm really passionate about. I think all my points that I've been trying to bring up for the last, certainly the last five, six years that I've been doing this podcast, but certainly in the last year, I think people are seeing that group breaking is consolidating and it's not this big gold rush industry that's saving the hobby. And it's a big, certainly it's not saving the hobby, might even be making it worse, might even derail it faster. Might even force these companies to start going in a different direction faster. But it's not a moneymaker. It's a big, big, big time time suck. You have to put a lot of time and a lot of investment into group breaking. And you're not going to make a lot of money in the long run. So it's more of a part-time thing. There will be a couple guys that win. But those guys will have already been doing it. Those guys like Blowout or some of the breakers that have stores or some of the ones that have been doing it kind of full-time, pushing it out, boom, 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 boom all the time. Those guys are going to do well anyways. It's not a new entrance business. There's not going to be a lot of guys going to be able to get into this. And I think slowly over time you guys are starting to realize that and starting to realize that there's a lot of flaws in the business model. And there's a lot of things that could be done. We've seen very innovative, like these guys were innovative and tech savvy, but we haven't seen a lot of innovation. I would start pricing things differently. How about all base? You know, they could price it instead of everybody's pricing it exactly the same way. You got to buy a team or you got to buy a random spot for a team. And that's about it. How about selling all the base? How about selling the autographs? How about selling? I would sell the Browns three different ways. I'd sell the Browns base. I'd sell the Browns jersey cards and I'd sell the Browns autograph cards and you could chop it up three different ways. And you could lower the price point. I think at some point you guys have got to learn from these manufacturers. They're not making a lot of money. If Topps is losing the NFL license and has stopped making basketball cards and pretty much have stopped doing everything but make a few sets of baseball cards a year. And Upper Deck has gone from the top dog to now they just make hockey cards and they have LeBron and Michael Jordan hanging on. They don't make a lot of money. Learn from them. They don't make a lot of money because now, like I said in the beginning of the show, now you've got to sell $1,000 worth of stuff to make $100. Where back in the day, you could sell $200 worth of stuff and make 100 Hit the lower price points in this stuff. Hit the low end. Yeah, I know it's all about the whales that come in and spend a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand, or whatever. 
but especially if you're trying to break into this game, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but there's a lot of kind of mid fringe group breakers that are, it's, it's probably more of a hobby than a business, but if you want to make it a business, get in there at that low end, that $3 break, that $4 break. And the way you do that is you start chopping this stuff out differently. Instead of it's all 30 teams now have 150 different ways to buy in and have it all be under $5. you might find some better results. I don't see anybody innovating there. I see a lot of people work still working on like a pen and paper and working with Excel sheets and all that stuff. There's a lot of software that you guys could be utilizing that's either built now or could be easily built custom but for probably less than a couple hundred bucks on like Odesk or through a freelancer. Or through, if you want, you can just sit down and for a couple months watch some YouTube videos and learn how to code. I mean, that's pretty much what I did. You don't really go to college for that stuff. I literally, for the last two years, I mean, two or three years ago, I, did, I said, I want to learn how to, you know, write, write JavaScript, write in jQuery. I want to learn all this stuff, not just HTML. HTML is easy. It's write the specific codes that are executing all this stuff on the back end. You just get on YouTube and start watching that. I put myself to sleep every night with that stuff. Eventually you figure it out. It's not that hard. You guys could figure it out and write your own thing and then license it to everybody. It's not really that difficult. I don't see any innovation. I see very little innovation with the sports card company. It's just, oh, let's come out with a more expensive set. Let's come out with a more, you know, grandiose set. Make it harder harder for everybody to get. We'll allocate it and make sure you have to buy four different sets to get it. This industry is not headed in, in a great place. I've been on here telling people that for years. Not saying we're headed into the black hole and it's going to suck us in and we're dead, but uh, we're certainly on the path there and we've been on that path for a while. And I guess I'm getting, uh, guess it's getting a little old talking about it. So I might take a break for a while. I don't know. Maybe I'll come back next week, tomorrow. Who knows? But for now, I'm out of here. Thanks for tuning in. We are out of here.